Happy St. Paddy's Day again, whiskey noobs. We had our whiskey review, our Irish whiskey review last week for St. Paddy's Day, and today we have a little bit of a treat. But before we get to that, my name is Chris, and you're listening to the Whiskey Noobs Podcast. For those of you who are new here and don't know my name yet, today we have a very special guest on the show for St. Paddy's Day. We have Daryl McNally from Limavati Irish Whiskey once again on the show, and he is going to walk us through some of the history of Irish whiskey. Now, I am recording this after the conversation is over and let me tell you we had a great conversation today we get into all sorts of things it's not just a history lesson but i love the rich history that irish whiskey has which is why i wanted to have him on the show to discuss it so much of it is influenced by wars and by the government and it it shaped the landscape of what we're seeing nowadays and so i find that to be absolutely incredibly interesting So Daryl helps walk us through that since it is a history that he knows very well, and we talk about how it has affected the landscape of Irish whiskey today, how it's affected what we're seeing with different distillers and with his distillery Limavati, and it is a ton of fun. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview that I had with Daryl, but without further ado, let's get to it. I have here with me Daryl from Limavati. Some of you guys might remember him from episode 81. Daryl, it is great to have you back. How are you doing tonight? Doing great, Chris. Great, great to be back on. Uh, yeah, it was, we had some good fun the last night. We, we had some good Limavati whiskey. So looking forward to saying hello from, from Ireland, from Limavati here. I'm actually traveling to the US on Monday for up to six weeks, doing a bit of a trek across one side of the US and back then to Savannah for St. Patrick's Day. So looking forward to spending that in Savannah. But great to be on here to to talk all things history of Irish whiskey and enjoy a little Irish whiskey. Limavati Irish whiskey with you as well. So launch it. Yeah, cheers. That's awesome. I didn't so you're when this comes out, you will be headed across the US then. Yeah, so uh, I essentially leave on Monday. So I go to New York for three nights. Uh, so I'm in New York from sort of twenty seventh of February to second of March. Then I'm over to Dallas. There's like a North Texas Irish uh, society where I'm doing a, a master class at it. Then I have the US sales conference along with the Whistlepig team. Then I'm in Phoenix for the Arizona Cocktail Week. I'm a judge at it. And then I'm flying across to Savannah for to celebrate St. Patrick's Day and to do the whole uh, in-market visit to all the, the key places and all the, the key outlets for, for Limavati on and off trade. Then I hope to spend a few days just downtime in the US and eventually then make it over to Seattle for the Seattle Cocktail Week at the end of March into April, and then back home. So probably five five weeks in total. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Wow, that is great. That's gonna sounds like it's gonna be a good time. This will be airing uh, right before St. Patty's Day, I believe, the Sunday beforehand. So uh, you'll oh, be cool. you'll be over here doing your doing your tour, I suppose. Absolutely celebrating probably in Savannah and uh, also uh, making sure that Limavati's getting the, the love it deserves in, in, in Georgia, which which I know it is. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And that's why we've got you here. So for everybody listening, uh, this this should be coming out right before St. Patty's Day. So I wanted to have our resident master distiller on so that we could talk a bit about the history of Irish whiskey um, because there's a pretty rich history that I think leads into the state that Irish whiskey is in today. Um, And speaking for myself and for most people I know, I know a lot of us over here in the U.S. just don't really know that, don't know that whole history. So 
I think it'd be uh, great to dive into it. Maybe the first bit that you can give me here is, and I, I feel like this is almost too rudimentary of a question. How do I properly uh, pronounce what you just said? Slanta? Slancha. 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 Yeah. Yeah, it's spelled sort of like slante almost. It's like slante, but with yeah. the Irish fada, it's slancha, which is cheers or good slancha. luck. I've seen Launcha. it typed out before, and I'm so bad, especially uh, with um, like uh, Scotch pronunciations, that I, sure. I stay away from <laughs> anything with accent marks and things on it. So, slancha. That's yeah. I learned something Launcha, new already. Yeah, yeah and Limavadi. A lot of people. A lot of people ask me what does Limavadi stand for. So there's an Irish Gaelic version of Limavadi, which is exactly how you spell it in the English version, which is Limavadi, how we spell it on the glass and on the bottle. Uh, so I, a lot of people say to me, how, am I pronouncing it right? I says, don't worry about pronouncing it. Just make sure you drink it. When you drink it, <laughs> yeah. you, won't care. You, you won't care how you pronounce it. I says, whether you say Limavadi, Limavadi, I, says, I don't care. It's, 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 it, all of them are right. All versions are right. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that as somebody who struggles <laughs> with pronunciation. And that has a special meaning behind it as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's Leap of the Dog. And you know when we're talking about history today, Limavadi is a really, really old whiskey dating back to 1750, which, you know, as you can imagine, there's a few key dates in the U.S. history, you know, 1776, you know, uh, independence, etc. So you can imagine Limavadi is way back 1750, which is what, 273 years old or something like that. So uh, I am just but a keeper, I always say, because with history and heritage like that, it's an honor to, you know, to, to take Limavadi back and bring it back to the world. So, yeah. Lots of history there, which we'll get into a little bit later and how Limavati sort of links back to the, the the Irish history of making whiskey. Yeah, that's great. So we can go ahead and get started with, with the Irish whiskey sort of history here. Sure. Um, and so one thing I did want to start with is <clears throat> whenever I was researching Irish whiskey back probably two years ago or so prepping for the show, it seemed that folks thought scotch was the first whiskey for a while. There was a record from, I want to say it was like in the 1490s. And yeah. now it seems we know at least the first recorded whiskey was Irish whiskey. If I'm not mistaken, it was in about 1406. I'm not sure if you've heard about that, but I thought that was yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, well, the way I always tell people, um, you know, everybody has their own versions of it. And I've worked for Bushmills, you know, which, you know, the oldest licensed whiskey distillery in the world. Um, and what I always say, it goes right back to about the 6th century, um, but go back even further, back to about 486 AD. Now, this sound, sounds like, I sound like a history teacher here. The back in 486 AD, the north of Ireland, where Limavady is and where Bush Mills is, they actually owned or the islands of Scotland before the Scotty come in. Uh, that was all owned by Ireland. So the Islay and Campbelltown and... Isle of Skye were all, you know, the big uh, Scottish whiskey making areas in Scotland. That actually all be became known as Dalriadon and was actually ran by the Irish, the North Irish King of Ireland. So all those little islands and all actually belonged to Ireland way back in 486 AD. So it became known as Dalriadon. So there would have been little boats moving across, uh, you know, comparing whiskies or whatever the amber nectar was or whatever the, the juice was of the day. But I always, when I go, when I went traveling, there was a, a story written in the Book of Leinster in 1176, and it said that Sir Robert Savage fortified his troops 
before they went into battle with an amber nectar. Now, I have no doubt whatsoever that that amber nectar was Irish whiskey because there were so many illicit stills where they'd have made, they'd have made the, the spirit, if you like, and then started to store them in casks, which they would have found then there would be maturation and so on and so forth. But it goes way back to the 6th century, they say that um, although Ireland was sort of owned that bit of Scotland, if you like, in the 6th century, it was monks who actually brought back the Alembic drum uh, from the Far East when they were out uh, preaching Christianity or Christianity and finding about Christianity. And what they did is they brought that back, which was for making perfumes. But the Irish, of course, being as resourceful as we are, we found another uh, use for that still or Alembic drum that they would have used at the time. And we were then used it to make uh, or to dis- distill spirits. There's still, there's still uh, cereals to make spirits. So, yeah, we were we were pretty useful when it came to that. And then I believe with the history of Dalriad and then that tradition of making spirit, if you like, went over into Scotland when the Scotch came in. And then it was only maybe three or four hundred years later that they really started to store more and more whiskey. And, and the whole history then uh, evolved from that. That's That's my understanding of it. Wow, I had actually never heard that about uh, the giving it to the troops, I believe you said. I didn't yeah. know that story. Yeah. That's it's amazing. In, so it's actually written in the book of Kells. So yeah, 1176, Robert Savage fortified his troops before they went into ba- battle. And he found that the troops were a little bit more aggressive, if you like, with a little bit of amber nectar in them. So I'm not saying that whiskey makes you aggressive, but it maybe helps to uh, bring out that fight and flair, if you want. certainly cuts down on the nerves i suppose (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah that is great and and i think there might be some folks listening to and and who might not know this because we talk so much about bourbon in the u.s that that is where we credit whiskey to is across the pond that it started over there and then of course you know I don't think a lot of people think about time in their mind enough to realize the u.s is very young compared to over there Correct, correct. And what you would have had is, you know, with you had the Mark Max, uh, or the, the the exodus of Irish people leaving Ireland and coming to the US, you know, they would have brought all those traditions and all the, you know, the potatoes and cabbage and all the all the things that the Irish are renowned for. And whiskey making was one of them, yeah. So I have no doubt whatsoever that, you know, there would have been Irish people bringing the, the art of distillation across to the US and they shared it with their Scottish cousins. Just where I actually am sitting here now, Chris, as the crow flies, it's only about 20 miles to Scotland or to Eilie. So, you know, it's a very short, uh, probably uh, boat, boat journey, if you like, back in th- those early days where they would have shared how to make, make whiskey. But I always say the Irish taught the Scotch how to make whiskey. They just didn't show them everything because we tripled the still and the Scotch mainly doubled the still. So we, we threw a couple of the pages away and the way over in the boat sort of thing, you know. I say, <laughs> yeah. I say, I say that tongue in cheek with my, my Scottish cousins. We have a laugh about it, you know. But, yeah. But yeah yeah that's very funny i so it's more common i just want to make sure i got that right it's more common in ireland the triple distill which we see on Correct. a lot of our bottles and in Correct. scotland they just double distill double distill yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. actually i mean i see it on bottles i never put it together like that yeah so when you do when you do the the double distillation um the strength goes up to about maybe say 140 proof or 70% alcohol. When you triple distill, it goes up to about 84%, which is about 168 or 170 proof. So we then watered back down again, but it's like with a triple distillation, you have just a different, slightly different mouthfeel, a little bit more, you know, distilled if you like, some more, more purities and from the alcohol uh, family. 
But again, it's just the style of, of Irish whiskey as opposed to the style of Scotch whiskey. And really, it's about the preference back in the day of the distiller of what he really liked, you know, very much like preference of food today. So yeah, and that's how then Irish became uh, renowned for triple distillation and Scotch became renowned for double distillation. All very good whiskies, but just slightly different, which makes them just a little bit different. Because everybody says to me, especially in the US, you know, the Scotch and Irish, are they in competition? Yeah, a little bit, but Irish is a different style to Scotch, so it's it's not brother and sister, it's cousins at best, I always say as a as a, a terminology to explain it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple other things that Irish whiskey is renowned for, which is a couple of the terms I kinda wanted to preface all of this with for those listening. Um, one of which being pot still and then the single yeah. version of that being single pot still. Can you break that down for those listening who who don't know what that means? Sure. Well, in, in my opinion, now some people may, may differ in this, but what I believe is that malted barley would have been always used, uh, you know, in the, the process of making uh, Irish whiskey. The reason for that is that the natural enzymes within malted barley helps break down the sugars during the mashing process when the sugars that are used then to convert into alcohols at the fermentation stage. Um, there was a tax put on malted barley by uh, Her Majesty at the time, uh, back in 1785. So in a way of getting taxes for illicit stills who were making spirit but not paying the taxes, the the, the British at that time actually went back and actually taxed the, the malted barley because if the malted barley used to make the whiskey, if they taxed it, then it meant even the illicit stills would have to have paid extra money for it. So then that's when uh, single pot still come out. Single pot still, rather than the mash bill being 100% malted barley, they mixed some of the malted barley with unmalted barley. So it might have been 50% malted barley to get the enzyme to break down the sugars. But instead of using a mash bill of 100% malted barley, they would have used maybe unmalted cereal, maybe just normal barley or oats or wheat in order to sort of stop having to pay so much tax to the government. And then this slightly lighter form of spirit became known as pot still or single pot still, which had been very much the backbone of Jameson and Middleton and Redbreast today, which, you know, great whiskies, just a little bit different in the taste profile. But my understanding of it is that it was always malted barley or Irish always would have started off with 100% malted barley. But then due to taxes and, you know, you know how these wars start about money and whatnot, people in more the, the, the southern part of Ireland would have bulked out their mash bill with unmalted barley as opposed to 100% malted barley. And that's where pot still became... Uh, uh, another variant, if you like, of, of Irish whiskey. And then much later, uh, I think it was in the 1850s, 1860s, there was Igneous Coffee designed the coffee still or continuous still where the grain whiskey came from. So then all of a sudden you had three styles of whiskey. You had the 100% malted barley, you had the 50% malted barley, 50% unmalted barley, which became known as pot still. And then you had grain, which to me then, you know, was the sort of bulking out agent, if you like, for blended whiskies, which became... You know, very very popular probably after the first world war and and, and when, when scotland adopted the coffee continuous still uh distillation process the irish were reluctant very much reluctant at the start and only adopted it much much later but it was an irish man called igneous coffee uh ex excise man from ireland who actually designed the coffee still and and brought that other category of green whiskey as we know today and into, into use and that's what we have today but we also have a renaissance of some like double distilled irish whiskey double distilled peated irish whiskey double distilled triple distilled peated irish whiskey so there's lots of different variants now as as, as the world evolves and as innovation starts to take take part but that historically only had them three types 
right up to you know the early 1900s. Wow. Okay. And I like that. Uh, I like that we're already talking about how the government influenced it with their taxes. Cause I think that's going to be a theme throughout. Oh yeah. Oh, what yeah. we discuss. <laughs> uh-huh. that, yeah. that seems to always be the case. And so um, it, when it's not single pot still, we have what uh, Limavati is, which would be Correct. single malt. And it's Correct. all malted barley. 100% malted barley, yeah, in the mash bill. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. for those listening who may not know what malting means, um, and uh, let me give my elementary version of it, and maybe you can tell sure. me if I'm wrong or not. Essentially, yeah. you are... Convincing the grain to want to sprout and then stopping it and drying it out, and that is going to um, con- convert the starches to sugars, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, the, sh- the starches are sugars. So the best way I explain it is that if you uh, industrially trick the little barley corn into thinking that it's in the ground and about to grow into a, into a plant. So you imagine the barley corn like this, and you put in the water, you're steeping it in water, so it's growing and growing and growing. And what it's doing is it's creating its starches or sugar buildup in order for it to grow into a plant. But what you do, just as it kicks out its little acrospire, you know, to grow, you dry it, locking in those sugars or starches. And then when you crush the barley, then that's the molten process. Therefore, you have a much sweeter uh, barley corn with more sugars in it to create all those lovely tastes that you get uh, when you convert the sugars into alcohol. Then when you mill that, when you build that barley corn or malted barley, you want to get in the, at the sugars, and the sugars are really, really tightly packed sugars. So the natural enzymes within the malted barley, when you put put different temperatures of water, it'll break down the really tightly packed sugars into simple sugars. The simple sugars will dissolve in the warm water, and it'll actually be drained down through the bed of the mash tun. And it's that sugary liquid known as warts that you then add the yeast to convert into alcohol, uh, giving off an exothermic reaction of heat. Now, therefore, you know that the fermentation process has taken place where the, when there's oxygen present, the yeast will grow. When the yeast grows and it turns into no oxygen left, it feeds in the simple sugars and converts the simple sugars into alcohol as a byproduct. So it's almost a byproduct. You get the lovely alcohol or ethanol as part of the process of fermentation. And then after that, it's a process of distillation, taking out the water to make the strength of the spirit that bit higher, and then into the casks for whatever number of years to give it that taste, taste, excuse me, taste profile, and then you have limavati. Uh, to enjoy and yeah. that um you mentioned the the barley enzymes are really great at getting that sugar out of there and that would be why even in our bourbons where corn is king a lot of times we'll have some malted barley in there to help have the enzymes to help kick start that that chemical Cor- reaction correct correct yeah so we get the the best byproduct known to whiskey lovers that's for sure <laughs> yeah and I always have some fun as well because in the distillery, the, another byproduct of, of converting those sugars into alcohol is CO2. And CO2 is like been hit with pepper spray. So you open the fer- fermentation vessels and you get somebody who you maybe not so fond of. You get them to put their head in to have a little smell and you can see them coming back very quickly. Quite, <laughs> quite, quite, quite dangerous, you know, but uh, it's, it's, it's quite fun when there's somebody maybe not listening when you're trying to explain it. So you just go here, do you want to have a nice smell of that, that lovely beer in there, you know, the, the, the walk? You see them putting their head in, next thing they're bounced back with tears stripping down, they get a little bit of head to see too. So just one of those fun things us master distillers still enjoy to, to this day. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that. If I ever visit one, I will I will be certain not to stick my head in the mash tun. <laughs> let, let somebody else do it first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So... Now that we've kind of laid out those, those terms, um, I do want to talk about the history of Irish whiskey because sure. there's some pretty eventful things that happened 
that I think really impact the landscape we have now. Um, so my my understanding, and this is what you're here to help break down since I just get the, the watered-down version that we receive, is that at a certain point, um, multiple distilleries came together and, and kind of merged into Irish distillers due to economic things that were going on that we can talk about. So prior to that happening, what did the landscape of Irish whiskey look like? Did it look similar to what we have today, or was it was it drastically different? Yeah, so going back to you know the 1750s for, for Limavady and the 1608, we'll start at the history. So the 1608 at, at Bushmills, um, when I worked at Bushmills, we always traveled the world and told the story about you know, the oldest licensed distillery in the world. The license was granted to an area known as the Route, R-O-W-T-E, but it's 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 the old spelling of, of Route as an R-O-U-T-E, like Route 66. Uh, and it was across the north coast of Ireland at the time, where Limavady was actually part of it. But the license was granted to a Sir Thomas Phillips because of a lot of work that he did, you know, helping the King of England, the King of Ireland at that time. Um, and he was granted lands and granted the first official license to distill in 1608. Now, he lived in Limavady, which was quite interesting, and his daughter, or his granddaughter, was involved in the first distillery that was ever built in Limavady in 1750. But that area, you know, Bush Mills claims the title of the world's oldest, and I'm not going to argue with that. You know, it, it is, and, uh, you know, there's a history and all for it there. All I'm saying is that I know Limavady was in that area known as the Route. I know that Limavady is really old as a comparison because one of the really old distilleries that we always quote is Kilbegan Distillery, which was formed in 1757, sort of seven years after Limavady. Um, and then you have Jameson, or Irish distillers, Jameson as we know. Jameson was formed in 1780 in Bow Street in Dublin. You know, so then you've, it's all those distilleries were sort of formed around, them, that, around that time. Um, but there was dark days of Irish whiskey, and that, was, that wasn't that long ago. It was sort of the early 1900s where we had the First World War, we had the Irish Civil War where essentially you know, the British put an embargo in exports of Irish whiskey. So that pretty much near killed the Irish whiskey world because back then, Scotch whiskey did about 14 million cases. Irish whiskey did about 14 million cases. Then with the prohibition, with the Irish Civil War and with the First World War, the seals of Irish pretty much fell through the, the floor, which was sad days for that. Irish whiskey now, as in this year or last year, We've only hit 14 million cases again, which is quite amazing. So that's the demise of Irish whiskey in the 19th century, early early 19th century. So we're only rightly getting back because there was something like 102 distilleries in Ireland producing them 14 million cases, which was you know the same as Scotland. Scottish now is 95 or 96 million cases. So they got a chance to move on. Irish was pretty much in a, in a bad in a bad way then. So I remember starting with Irish distillers back in 1998, and even as, as recent as 25 years ago, it, sound, it sounds a long time now, but I remember it as if it was yesterday. There was dark days of Irish whiskey then, so they did have to all pull together to try and keep the economies of scale, to keep the, the brands and to keep the, the Irish category alive. Today, thank God, it's a different story and Irish whiskey's booming and we're getting back up. You know, we only, we, we've down from 102 distilleries to essentially Middleton Distillery in County Cork, down in Middleton, and you have Bushmills up in County Antrim, almost as north as you go and south as you can go. That was it. There was only those two distilleries until Cooley Distillery opened in 1987, I believe. Uh, and then the Renaissance then in the last maybe seven or eight years has brought the number of distilleries back up to, I think there's about 47 or 48 built or planned to be built in Ireland now. So we're slowly getting back to where we rightfully 
belong. But you're quite right. It was the Irish distillers and grouping together and economies of scale that probably saved Irish whiskey from an historic point of view. And look, look at where we are today, which is amazing. It just keeps growing and we're, we're showing 20% growth a year, which is fantastic for all the Irish whiskey brands out there. And I always say to people, it's time for the Irish whiskey now to shine again. And I think that's becoming so apparent, especially in the U.S., which is great, great for me, great for everybody in the industry and great for Limavati, which, which is fun times. Yeah. And I mean, when you put that in perspective a little bit, that it was 14 million and we're just getting back to 14 million. And you think about back then, I mean, over the course of the past, maybe decade, two decades, bourbon has exploded. So back then you were way less saturated with bourbon and you were even with scotch. And so now we're just getting back to that volume. But in, in terms of volume, we're back to that volume. But if in terms of how many Irish bottles were on a shelf next to the bourbon shelf, that's a, it's miraculous to think about how that, like we mentioned, the governments and the economies and the wars had such a profound impact. Uh, absolutely. And that's, that's why we now have you know, the Irish Whiskey Association and we have you know, teams of you know, everybody that represents their brands, etc., and we we just make sure that you know, nobody's going to come in and create create uh, whiskies that's not going to tick the box for whiskey or people maybe not making whiskey the, the way they should. We have a technical file. We have a governance, if you like, to work to, you know, with, with people who want to protect, if you like, the Irish whiskey category. And that's that's so important that we, we, we don't fall back into uh, any opportunity for it to go uh, through the floor again. That's, that's not what we want. And it's great because, especially in the U.S., I always laugh. There's there's about six and a half, seven million people in Ireland, but if you asked how many people in America are Irish, there's about seventy million, which is which is again due to all the movements back in the day of people going to make their fortunes in the U.S. or indeed in the darker days during the famine when when people had to to move to the U.S. just to you know to create create a world for themselves and create a life for themselves. Yeah, it's it's quite common to have Irish heritage over here. I know my my wife's whole side of her family is is proudly Irish. Good. Um, so Good. yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it, it's very common over here. Um, <clears throat> then when we when you mentioned that it it shut down to Irish distillers and bush mills, is that like all there was at the time? Is it was just those two conglomerates, yeah. bush mills, and then the kind of the conglomerate that is Irish distillers? No, well, Bushmills was actually part of Irish Distillers, so oh, there was okay. Irish Distillers. So there was, you know, the the the, the Jameson, the Paddy, the Powers, you know, all the 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 Dublin, if you like, and Cork Distilleries would have amalgamated. I think it was the mid sixties, maybe nineteen sixty six, sixty seven, something like that. But Bushmills actually joined Irish Distillers as well. Then I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it was the early eighties, early to mid eighties. Uh, so when I joined Bushmills in nineteen ninety eight. I joined Irish Distillers, so we were all a monopoly, if you like, on, on Irish whiskey. It wasn't until 2005 that Diageo actually bought Bushmills, because I was, I was still working at Bushmills, I remember it as if it was yesterday. And that was the first breakaway of a brand or, or a production site, if you like, away from a monopoly of Irish whiskey, which is and was Irish Distillers. So that was the first breakaway, was, was Bushmills. And it was easy for Bushmills to break away because... Middleton would have produced most of the whiskey for all the Jameson, Paddy, Powers, all the Southern Irish whiskies, and it was all very much the pot still style and grain style. Mm-hmm. So Bushmills, because it was a site on its own up north, it was easy to sort of subtract it from the family, if you like. So here was me working with colleagues from Irish Distillers day and daily, and still I'm still friends with a lot of them even, even today. 
uh, and were essentially were pulled out of the the family and sold to Diageo then in two thousand and five. So yeah, that, I I remember the days of being part of Irish Distillers, Jameson, so on and so forth, and I also then remember the the movement in two thousand and five to Diageo, and then it's when when Cuervo bought Bush Mills in twenty fifteen. That's when the whole Irish whiskey world was on fire at that time, and I was being called. You know, can you design me a distillery? Can you come and design brands? So I, with a very heavy heart, and I mean a heavy heart, left Bush Mills, and it was actually first of April twenty fifteen. So it was April Fool's Day. 2015 so there you go uh and i left in 2015 and went then to to look about creating other brands for other for other people and so on and so forth but eventually i came back to limavari because i knew i knew what i wanted to do and i wanted to bring limavari back to life and we spoke about this before because one is a really old brand 1750 but my family owned it in 1880 and only owned it for a few years as well because that was probably the start of the dark days when Actually, Scottish distilleries were beginning to buy up Irish distilleries and closing them down. So there's another little bit of history that I didn't even think about mentioning. And Limavari was actually bought in 1912 and closed down. And it closed in 1912. And it was closed down by uh, apparently Scottish uh, or British owners who uh, more or less closed down the competition. But again, it probably wasn't economical to keep them open with, with all the different you know, embargoes and on, on shipping to the US and all the dark days that we talked about earlier. So yeah, sad days for a lot of the, the old brands back in that sort of early 1900s. But we're back. Wow. We're back now yeah. in, the, in the 2020s and uh, yeah, hopefully be here for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, um, that is, so it shut down to, to Bushmills and Irish distillers, came together, split back mm-hmm. apart a bit. And yeah. so for a very long time, they were the only ones producing new make, like new distillate off of stills. Correct. And that is kind of part of, I know this is also very popular in Scotland, but this is something I constantly try to tell people who talk about sourced bourbon is that mm-hmm. sourced whiskey in Scotland and in Ireland is very common Um working on just blending or picking the proper sourcing and doing the proper finishing, correct? Yeah, a lot of, there was only three distilleries. There was, as I say, Middleton and, and County Cork. There was Bushmills and County Antrim. The third distillery was uh, Cooley Distillery in County Louth, which is sort of halfway house, if you like, just north north of Dublin. Um, it opened, I think, or it was, a, it was an old potato plant, a potato petrochemical plant uh, that was created, you know, to create fuels. And it was converted to a distillery, I think, in 1987. So John Thielen uh, and a group of, of his colleagues actually opened uh, Cooley Distillery in 1987. And then they sold it to Beam Centauri, God, I don't know, many years ago. That it must be nearly, would it be eight or ten years now? They sold it to Beam Centauri. So that really was only the three distilleries in Ireland actually producing new mech, which sourced whiskey. You know, the whiskey had to be sourced from one of those three distilleries to create a lot of the brands that we have today. A lot of the new Irish whiskey brands, it's source whiskey with a different slant to it. But what it did do is it, it allows you to get your brand out there and then build your distillery to become the home then of the brand that you're creating. So there's two or three ways that you could do it. You build a distillery and you wait for five years to have liquid and then you create a brand. Or you source some whiskey, which is, you know, there's a lot of sourcing in the US, there's a lot of sourcing in Scotland for years. Uh, Ireland with, with all the new brands, there has to be a little bit of sourcing. I'm not against that at all as a, as a distiller because I was one of three master distillers you know, uh, running Bushmills back in the day. But I'm happy that you know, the Irish whiskey category with all the brands is growing and growing now and we're creating our own history, if you like. And then the distilleries have been built in the back of that as, as the consumer enjoys the Irish whiskey and the, the style of Irish whiskey 
and then the whole thing will move forward sort of every three, four, five years as more and more distilleries become online. And more importantly, they create their new make and their new make whiskey comes online then, you know, four or five years later. And that, you know, it's lovely to see, to be honest. It's, it makes you proud to be an Irish man and proud to be uh, in the Irish whiskey world. Yeah, and I think that's something that gets so often overlooked. We don't even think about that we're drinking a, a 5 or a 12 or a 21-year whiskey. That means that if a distillery opens today, <laughs> they're not selling anything of their own like that they distilled for five Correct. more years. <laughs> and, well, some people, they make launch, but I always say with a malt, you wouldn't launch a malt unless it's sort of five, six, seven years. So with some malt distilleries, it might even be longer. Like Limavati is about five years in total. You know, so again, when, when I my Limavati distillery built, I'm producing, it'll take five years, so I'll need to rely on source liquid. The difference being that I take the source liquid and, and do something different, what we do, the, the PX finish, and you, know, you create the right the recipes, if you like, to you know to, to, to create for a taste profile that I feel, you know, is, 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 it ticks the boxes for me, but hopefully it ticks the boxes for those uh, new consumers coming through and you know, younger whiskey drinkers coming through, you know, they expect something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more fiery. Limavati's got that 92 proof, but a little bit then of the PX finish, which is just not maybe a generic sort of bourbon spice vanilla. It's got the spice and vanilla, of course, but then it's got that lovely PX at the end, which gives a sweetness, which which is great. It's, it's won a few awards even since we last spoke, which is great. So you keep the awards coming. We're, we're doing something right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it seems to be the case. I think I saw you on uh, Whiskey Advocate, right? This year it was, what was it, eight or six? Eight. 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 Number eight, yeah. yeah. Which is That's great. fantastic. Like, yeah, to be not, not been the top 20 whiskeys for Whiskey Advocate for 2022, consider me only launched late, late 2021. It was like the end of August 21. That I'll take that all day long. It made, it made my Christmas, put it like that, it made my Christmas and New Year. <laughs> I bet it did. Yeah, that was great to see. I I saw that after, of course, we had done our episode, and I thought that is fantastic yeah. for such a for such a young brand to already be on that list. That's great. I looked at I think the, the Irish. I think Redbreast was, was got a you know above me. There was a Redbreast and there was a Middleton. So I just went, whoa, I'm in good keeping, you know, with uh, Middleton whiskey and with Redbreast, two really good Irish whiskeys. I go, I'll take that all day long. And, I think some of the team at Whistlepig says, so are you going for top five next year? And I go, oh, God, please help, help. Yeah, you know, let's let's hope, let's hope. But again, that does no harm for, you know, people in the holiday season to actually come and try Limavati. And that's what it's all about. Try Limavati and you'll, I know you'll enjoy it. It's just a case of, you know, enjoying the history that we're talking about tonight, but also then taste the liquid and, and hopefully you'll be like the whiskey advocate and give it the thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the the rich whiskey with the wit rich history that we're discussing. Very absolutely. good. I like that. I like that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> there for you sure. go. <laughs> I have a brand, a little branding spot for you. There you go. <laughs> um, so now that we're now that we have we've come out of the um, I guess the the dark times as you mentioned, and so yeah. now we've got all these distilleries springing forward. <clears throat> I one thing that I was very surprised by when I was looking into it was. The number of um, brands that still come out of Middleton uh, that I don't think a lot of people realize. I think in our heads we're picturing you've got Jameson kind of over here and then you've got Powers kind of over here. Um, yeah. Are there a few other big ones that you would mention that maybe somebody like myself wouldn't even realize all come from, from Middleton there? Yeah, well, there was, as I say, every, all of them came from Middleton or from Irish Distillers before Bushmills sort of broke off you know, as part of the Irish Distillers team. Uh, one of the big things is uh, what I like about Irish whiskey now, some of the the big names and 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 drinks drinks world, if you like, you know, the Sazerac of the world, for example, Sazerac, 
they bought Paddy, you know, a few years back from Irish Distillers. So that was removing Paddy from, you know, the Irish Distillers family. So it sort of broke up a little bit. It's constant, concentrating very much on its, you know, it's Jameson, which is, you know, the, the entry level blended whiskey. You can't argue with Jameson. It's selling, I think, 12 million cases worldwide. You know, it's a great whiskey in the US for shooting beer, so on and so forth. You have different varieties of Jameson. You then have Redbreast, which is sort of that aged, you know, finished in casks, which is a great whiskey. And then you have the Middleton, the Middleton family, which will always, you know, the Middleton uh, high-end whiskies. That's sort of the three main brands that Irish distillers are concentrating. And Powers, of course, uh, Powers there. Did you see the logo the other day? They, they brought out a, a rye, an Irish rye. And the logo for Powers was bye-bye American rye. And I went, oh, my God, that's crazy. Like, you know, that's, again, an Irish taking a very much an American rye. Uh, whiskey and, and then on the the billboards bye bye American rye and I no that's that, that's not going to happen you know I hadn't seen that but <laughs> yeah but here's again, what I'll give them I'll give them for the branding I'm curious now <laughs> yeah yeah it was something I seen popped up on uh, I think it was the Irish fans Irish whiskey fans in America or something so I just went oh my god that's advertising to the nth degree and you know, I can't say too much because whistle pigs you know. Uh, very much my family, you know, with the rye whiskey, you know, they're, they're, they they own that space in my opinion. But hey, if there's Irish yeah. rye coming in, so so be it. It's an Irish, it's not a an American rye. So just look look that up. It's quite funny. But then you have I, you have yeah you have Patty then that's now part of the Sazerac family. You have Bushmills as part of the Quervo family. Um, you have you know some more of the bigger players coming in for some of these smaller Irish whiskey brands, even with Whistlepig coming, you know, and partnering with me with, with Limavati, that was great, you know, because that was early days. It's really helped me. We're we're in 32 states now in the US, which is amazing, like, considering we're only really, we only launched August 2021. Um, the amount of people within the, the industry come up to me and go, oh my God, I'm traveling the US and Limavati is everywhere. How, how did you do that? And I says, well, that's, that's over to my my whistlepig family helping out, you know, and, and uh, the way we've everything set up. So, I always say you can't you can't get people to taste Limavati whiskey if it's not in the shelves or if it's not in the bars. So the only way to do it is to get that distribution and good distribution. And then I'm looking forward now to go back into the US next week to to see all the good work that we did last year and see what sort of pull through we had with Limavati. So looking forward to it. Yeah, that's very exciting. <clears throat> yeah. Now. Now that we've come out of that that dark time and we've got so many mm-hmm. distilleries, we've talked. You just mentioned the Amer- or the Bye Bye American Rye. What sort of changes in the landscape are you seeing, especially since you're you're right in the thick of it right now, as you're having that boom, that twenty percent growth you talked about? Are sure. you seeing big changes in the landscape over there? Absolutely, you have. You had the old traditional whiskey, which you know. Sadly, sometimes it was sort of like an old man's drink and not male-female, not the younger generation and not the younger generation male-female. I think Irish whiskey has you know, opened up you know, to the younger generation, to males and females, to enjoy whiskey together. I think Irish whiskey lends itself to that. I've seen an, an Irish whiskey innovation, you know, finishing a beer cask, doing the rye, for example, uh, you know, doing Limavati's single barrel PX finish. There was never young malt finished in a px and bottled individually and that was one of the interviews with whiskey advocate uh the gentleman said to me he says but are you sure it's the only single barrel and i go yeah it is so he went and googled it that night and he messaged me back goes, you're right i went looking for another irish but again that was something that i just from an innovation point of view the pedro jimenez casts were slightly different the slight slightly more spiced maybe in some of the casts. but if you bottled the cast individually each bottle or each cast number on your limavati bottle could be slightly different, which to me just adds to the fun and the complexity 
of the whole maturing process. But again, it's something quite fun for the younger generation coming through. So there's innovation on cast types. There's playing about with different mixes. There's sticking with tradition. And then there's other brands like the Dead Rabbit, which is, you know, the story of, of the Irish after the uh, after the famine going across to the US. And there was a Dead Rabbit gang who spoke in their Irish native tongues. And, you know, the Diad, the Rabits, which was Irish Gaelic, which is big fight, strong, big, uh, strong fight in Irish, man. And the locals who spoke English went, what is them crazy Irish guys going on about de- dead rabbits for the dead rabbit gang? You know, so there's that sort of no history or no heritage or not the name of a place uh, brands coming out too, which again, I think just adds to the whole Irish category and just gives it that lift. So it isn't the sort of, how would you say, shirt and tie and suits and meal only an older meal drinking, which would have been maybe the, the 1950s, 1960s view on it. Today's a modern world where everybody's enjoying Irish whiskey. And thank God Irish whiskey, it's, you know, it's quite easy to, to taste, if you like. So it, it opens up the doors for a lot of people who maybe wouldn't want a harsher taste and drink or, a, you know, maybe too smoky scotch. Some of the smoky scotch maybe wouldn't want that. So I think it just is that nice halfway house to drink a, a liquid that's quality, that's made with precision, that takes time to make and just oozes quality that, you know, that generation that, that are coming up want to know how it's made, where it was made, what ingredients was used, sustainability, innovation, all those good things. And I think that's what the Irish whiskey category brings. And that's why it's, it's grown by 20%. That's my, my opinion. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think you're right. I actually, it's funny that you say that. I didn't even plan to, to mention this, but <clears throat> you're absolutely right about it being such a good introductory whiskey um in multiple videos maybe even on the show i've always like to recommend tullamore dew just their base whiskey for somebody who's trying it and, and just thinks even some scotches are a bit too harsh not necessarily a smoky scotch but just even then they're a bit too harsh because i find that irish whiskey can be so easy to drink if you haven't drank whiskey before yeah and that's and that's sort of you know the jameson world as well you know where people you know, the younger generation would have shot Jameson because you know it's easy. Jameson's pot's still in green, you know, but it's you know it, it, it does exactly what it says in the tin. And as I say, you can't argue with Jameson and and uh, you know how well it's done over the years. And, and now that you know it, I used to be part of Irish Distillers and Jameson, so like you never hear me saying a bad word about about anything because you can't argue with with you know the quality of the liquid and indeed. Out in the, in hey, and if that's sales. how they're hooking people in to make them want to try the little bit more complex stuff, <laughs> yeah. and, and what there I what go. I love is because the more people who you know, drink Jameson or drink Irish whiskey have more chance then to maybe try Limavady, and you know it just helps helps everybody and raises the profile of of the the category. And I always say, okay, there's competition. Of course, there's competition between brands, but but uh, you know if 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 somebody gets converted into Irish whiskey style. Then they're going to try various different styles or, or brands of Irish whiskey. So therefore, it's good good for everybody. And there's a little bit of the pie for everybody, which which, which I think is the best way to look at it. Yes, you're you're in a very great moment of growth for for the whiskey industry that I always mention to my friends that are also on on TikTok and on Instagram because you know we're also competing with each other. And yeah. I always say we're in a moment right now where we get to work together because as we work together, this whole thing grows. And it's great for all of us. Like you said, we all get a piece of the pie with with the whole whiskey industry right now. Correct, yeah. And and it's so nice and refreshing. Okay, you know, gin has its day sometimes and vodka has its day. But whiskey tends to uh, keep the test of time or stand the test of time, if you like. There's more and more people now moving to brown spirits and quality brown spirits and uh, yeah, it's just a great time to be in the industry, a great time to be in, be in whiskey. 
That it is. And I think that is a great spot for us to close on there. So <laughs> as we're as we're rounding out here, great time to be an Irish whiskey. Is there anything coming up for Limavati? I know you mentioned you're coming over here that you yeah. want to mention or anything you'd like to talk about. No, as I say, we're we're in thirty two states now, so we're we're in all the states. Uh, the the states that we're not in is the control states, which we're we're working on. They're just a little bit harder to get into. Uh, but I, I, as I say, that the the hard work was done last year to go out and travel around the state. So it's in most places, so people can get it in their local bars and and their off licenses, etc. I'm looking forward to getting into the US. Looking forward to getting to Savannah and spending another St Patrick's Day in Savannah. I was blown away last year. Uh, about the, you know the size of the parade and I think Savannah's third I think second only to New York and Chicago so uh, yeah looking forward to get over there and uh, preaching more about Limavady and, and raising a toast in St. Patrick's Day to, to Limavady in the year ahead yeah absolutely we love our St. Patty's Day over here as you mentioned we have a, a large density of Irish folks over here so we love our St. Patty's Day oh absolutely uh, so I'm looking forward to that that's great um, so if you don't mind my asking, I have a couple of a little bit more fun questions sure. that I'd like to mention. Um, I have a, a, some patrons now, so I'd like to make a little bit of extra content for them that I think could be a little bit fun. Sure. So these last couple of questions for Daryl will be edited with video and posted to the Whiskey Noobs Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash whiskey noobs or check out the link in the show notes to check it out. Daryl, it is always fun having you on. I feel like every time I leave, having learned so much, I got to go write it down or something. <laughs> you're so knowledgeable on the topic. It's great to, to hear. I know my listeners like that sort of content. And for me, it's I'm a, I'm a whiskey nerd. I love hearing about all this. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's great. It's great. And we must meet sometime when, we're, when I'm in the US. We have to meet up and have a dram and a good chat uh, off there <laughs> and enjoy the yeah. whiskey. <laughs> Absolutely. It's on my bucket list to get over to Ireland sometime, so I'll make Absolutely. sure I, I say something. Keep in touch, and, and we'll, we'll definitely meet up in Ireland. That would be even better. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and I'm looking forward to I'll, – I'll keep an eye out for Whiskey Advocate this year. I'm looking forward to see what you have, what the future has in store for you. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks. Fingers crossed for you. Thanks, Daryl. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. All the best. Bye-bye. Before we round out this episode, we do have a new $10 patron to shout out. So if you join the $10 tier of my Patreon, you do get a shout out at the end of an episode. And so today I would like to shout out Mark Porter. Mark, I appreciate the heck out of it. I appreciate all of my patrons, all of my followers, anybody who has ever watched or liked a post of mine. But I'm definitely grateful for you, Mark, and for the other patrons. So thank you so much for joining the Patreon. For those of you who are interested, you can find that at the link in the show notes or at patreon.com slash whiskey noobs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to whiskey noobs podcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.